Welcome to the Healthy Body, Healthy Mind podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kinghorn, co-founder and CEO of HBHM. We're a carbon neutral wellness brand and we're focused on the well-being of our customers and the planet. We produce a range of products designed to support a healthy lifestyle. This podcast is for our community. We'll have a range of experts in the health, fitness and wellness space designed to help you all improve many aspects of your life. For listening to this podcast, you can get 15% off our products at hbhm.com by using the code hbhmpod at checkout. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Healthy Body, Healthy Mind podcast. This week we have James Cruikshank on the show, um, otherwise known as Physio Run, um, but there's a lot more to him than that. So James is an awesome, fully qualified physio who specializes in helping professional and everyday athletes in a variety of sports. He has been a physiotherapy lead at the Commonwealth Games, as well as working with Scottish international teams at world events. Um, I go to see James myself when I need to. And what I love about James is he wants to get you back to your sport as quickly as possible in a safe manner. Um, And I love that about him. He doesn't want you being out for any longer than you need to be. Every visit to see him is so much more than just physio with knowledge bombs absolutely guaranteed. So welcome to the HBHM podcast, James. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Wow, what an introduction, eh? Well, I know. Hope I, know I hope I live up to that now. Yeah, you do. You do. <laughs> I'm no, sure it's, you will. it's really good to, to be on the show. Um, appreciate all you do for healthy body, healthy mind and everything that's out there just now. So yeah, doing a really good job for you guys. And yeah, it's a really good honor to be with you guys today. Yeah, good to have you on. Thank you very much, James. So before we delve into discussing, you know, probably a variety of different things today, do you just want to explain some of the sports that you do work with? Because I know obviously your your Instagram handle and you've got website and things that's physio run, but I know you do a lot more than just running. So what sort of sports are you working in? Yeah, so I'm uh, really privileged to work for the Scottish Institute of Sport who um, cover a wide variety of sports. I'm the coordinator for Grampian, so any of the athletes or local athletes we have in the Grampian area, um, myself along with my colleagues at Spear, uh, will help to look after their management through injury and through um, performance enhancement. So just now we've got numerous different uh, sports that are uh, local to Grampian. Uh, we've got curling, golf, we've got athletics, uh, rowing. We've literally um, any sport you can name if we're... We represent it in Scotland and there's a local guy that's doing it, or a local girl that's doing it, then we, we help them to be as best they can be. So, yeah, um, I've been privileged as well to do quite a lot of travel with Scottish women and also with um, Scottish curling. So I've taken a few different world championships with with both that um, sport and disciplines and also travelled with squash as well. So, yeah, bits and pieces of, of numerous different sports. But one thing that comes across is the... Um, the body's the same, it just needs to be doing different things. So if we can treat that body as well as it needs to be treated for what it needs to be doing, then it's quite nice to, to work with people at the high end of their sport. Yeah. So I suppose given the range of sports you've just mentioned there, I assume you're getting loads of different injuries and things coming to you. Yeah, we I mean, 
we tend to see it quite seasonal as well. A lot of the sports we have uh, local to, to Grampian are winter sports. So during the summer, we don't tend to see a huge amount of them. Or we, sent, we tend to see injuries that are, are linked to pre-season training for them. Whereas our, um, our runners are kind of running the whole year round, depending on when the marathon season is. So um, spring and autumn, we tend to see an influx of, of runners when the, the marathon dates come through. Uh, swimming tends to have a, a little bit of a break in the in the summer itself. So we tend to see the short course up into to Christmas and then long course from, from Christmas onwards. So yeah, the different seasons come, but different sports, um, depending on which stage of the, the season they're in, we'll, we'll see different injuries. So numerous different things from lower limb, upper limb, and also... And just general overload injuries as well. Yeah. And how long have you been doing this for? So I've been working as a physio for, oh gosh, about about 12 years now. And I did about five, six in the, must be a bit longer actually, five, six in NHS. And I've done about eight years in the um, private sector itself. So maths is not my strong point. So I think that's more than 12 years. (laughs) (laughs) And so bringing it back then, how did you get involved in this space? And did you always have an interest in sports, even as a kid? And then how did that develop into your, obviously your career? So, yeah, I um, studied sports and exercise science at University in Aberdeen. um, And during my third year, um, whilst playing the Highland League, I had a really bad leg break. Um, it wasn't until after I broke my leg, I went through a year's rehab that I was quite interested in the, the physiotherapy side of things. Um, it was actually a, a friend from school who actually trains a physiotherapist says, oh, you should do physio once you've finished sports science. So I signed up to do the master's at RGU. So again, I've never actually gotten away from Aberdeen for my studies. But um, yeah, so I uh, did the two years master's and then uh, fortunate enough, got a job in Inverurie and quite quickly um, seconded or got placed into um, MSK, which is musculoskeletal injuries. So like your outpatient stuff that I, I do today. So I've done the majority of my career has been in an outpatient setting. So yeah, from there, um, I was started working evenings in different clinics around Aberdeen, including private hospital and some sports uh, clinics, uh, which brought me to one of the biggest influences in my career, uh, Karen Young, Karen Clark, Karen Young, who um, she um, asked me to come along and work in evenings there and to get a sport and um, exposure. Uh, did that for um, about a year and I was always toying with the idea of going full time in the sports environment and it just turned out that Karen was going off on maternity leave at the same time. So I was able to to jump into to spear and take on a full time role there self-employed and take over the um, Grampian role for the Institute. So yeah, it was a bit of a jump at the deep end of sport, but the guys have been fantastic. And I've just, every day I'm learning something new about sport, the sport and mind, the sport and body. And it's just such a, a, a really good environment to, to be in at Spear itself. Yeah. And that's something that always strikes me when I do chat to you or come and visit you or, you know, any sort of communication we've got with each other, you're always learning. You're always you know, looking to improve what you do. And I mean, even just before we came on the podcast, we're having a quick chat and today's a, a CPD day for you anyway. So is, that's something you seem to be really passionate about. Is that right? Learning. I think that with with what we do, you, you can never, you can never reach the top. You, you can never be, um, you can always be better. And I think it's the same with runners, swimmers, they're always looking to, to improve their craft. And I think that as physiotherapists, the research um, changes our approaches changes and our information that we get about the the human body changes as well and I think that 
unless you're staying relevant, you're not relevant. And I think that you have to keep on top of the, the study side of things. But like you mentioned there, I love learning. I love my um, focus is running just now and, and any new bit of evidence that comes out about running or any new book that comes out about running, I just have to absorb it as quick as I can and try and not just superficially read it, but try and um, get a deeper understanding of it as well. Yeah. And what's some of the recent books you have read that you would recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so I've actually, just as you mentioned, I've got this, this book that I got recommended by Don Vesey, who's a PhD uh, psychologist in sport, which is the, the field guide to ultra running um, by Hal Kurners. So uh, it's really, really good. It comes with a lot of different um, scenarios that you might come across when you're ultra running. So uh, yeah, that's been, been really good. Uh, from a running point of view, um, there's a lot about the, the cadence and, and stride length that we're doing a lot of work with just now. And I've actually been in the department using run scribe pods, which are little pods you put onto the, the shoes, which rather than just um, focusing on treadmill, get analysis, you can actually do it on overground running. So I've got a few of the local guys that have been popping them onto their shoes, including uh, Jimmy Robbie and Dave Andrews. They've uh, popped them on their shoes and I've, I can actually remotely see what they're doing when they're running, even though they're running wherever they are. So Dave likes to do lots and lots of loops of Duthie Park so I can watch from the comfort of Blackburn from the computer and just see what his contact's like, what his, his um, fatigue elements like. So the longer he goes on for and um, what happens to his foot strike. And yeah, it's, it's really quite interesting. And I think that there is always that whole paralysis by analysis. So the more you, you analyze things, the more you're likely to, to find little bits and pieces. But like we get back to the top of the question, we're always looking to improve and we're always looking to enhanced performance somehow and I think that the, the tool of the run scribe pods has been fantastic for for my learning and even for my own running I've learned so much about what happens when I run 10 miles versus what happens when I run 16 miles in that last six miles how does my foot contact change in that that latter stage of a run so yeah some really really nice stuff going on just now yeah well the run scribe was actually something I was going to uh, ask you about uh, on the podcast anyway so it sounds really interesting so I take so you're analyzing form ground strike all these types of things you just mentioned so does that then allow you to help runners improve their forming is that the main sort of goal of doing all this analysis the one thing is the, we, we probably only try and change form if there's an injury or there's a cause for it and mm-hmm. um, what's really quite interesting with some of the the details coming back from uh, runners that have been using it over a longer period of time and then they get injured you can actually see where their contact goes on their foot so they actually it, it brings up a footprint and you can actually see where about the contact is on the, the ground of the foot so if they're not using their the big toe and they're getting medial arch pain then you can actually see that they're actually going heavily onto the outside board of their foot so it's just just a lot of things you can track and you can kind of maybe preempt might be a cause or or might be causative of, of why they're injured the biggest thing with the, the run scribe pods as well is that it um it can tell you the balance between the left and right hand side. So rather than just having the, the Garmin heart rate monitor, which does the same thing, it measures it in lots of different axes. So you can actually see how they contact the ground, how much pronation they do, how much uh, the rotation of the foot as well. So you can actually tell, are they actually rotating their foot from the hip or are they rotating their foot from the, the, the ground itself? Okay. And where, so how many like pods actually are there? Like are they, I take it, do these go on the underside of the, trainer or are they on the foot or how, how does it 
come together. So the, the pods themselves are, there's two that fit on each foot. So there's one on the left, one on the right. And you can use a sacral pod as well, which sits uh, just on the short level for like oscillation. And there's a few other sacral measures that they can use as well. But mainly the, the two pods that are on the foot are the, the main ones. And they tend to be the ones that give you the most, the most information back. And they sit, there's two little cradles that just clip onto the laces. I think mm-hmm. the weight of them is something like 20, 20 grams. It's not a huge amount either. And uh, yeah, they're, they're really quite good. And they're really quite sturdy. And I've used them quite a lot of hill running and children. The one thing that I've been using them personally is uh, I did a little trial on a, a treadmill where I ran one kilometre in five different shoes. And I can actually, at the same pace, the same um, rate of perceived exertion, and I can actually see where my contact's different in different shoes with either a carbon plate, more cushioning shoe, or or one of my racing flats. So it's quite quite interesting from that point of view is to see which shoe would benefit me over a tougher train, which shoe would benefit me over the, the flatter ground itself. That's that's really interesting, actually, because like I'm certainly a person that rotates between a few different pairs of shoes at the same time. I run in shoes at the same time, um, but I don't, I don't really know whether that's a good or a bad thing. They're mainly all the same brand and they're all similar and I've got, you know, multiple of the same actual model. Um, but maybe I'm missing something because I'm maybe I could be using maybe one shoe more often than others, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, th- I mean, a lot of the apps nowadays um, have how many miles you've done in a shoe and how, I mean, it, it depends on how well you are at logging it. So if you log it well, you can actually keep a quite a good a good detail of it, and that's one of the things with the pods as well. You can actually document which shoe it is, but the the information then goes into a a global database, okay. which then um, has a list of different shoes. So for example, we've got people that are are quite um, heavily pronating their foot and which shoes that they tend to use, and people that don't pronate, pronate as much and which shoes they use, and it's it's all different brands that they, they use. So it's it's quite interesting to feed into. A, a bigger global but from from a local level it's not just the upper that people often look at the the rubber on the bottom and the upper itself and when they're worn out that's the shoes done but it's more the foam itself what, what's actually yeah. happening to that foam and i know that the shoes that have been sitting for a long period of time the foam does start to, to break down as well so sometimes buying three or four seasons old shoe they've been sitting for a bit of time that the foam is not as responsive as what the, the foam should have been before so yeah there's there's a lot of things you can look at and when I looked at the, the details from my NS1 case study, um, the oldest shoes were the ones that had the the most um, like the most problems I would find for my feet. Yeah. So there'd be a lot more pronation, there'd be a lot more um, break and force, there'd be a lot more things that would result in having a shoe that has probably been spent. But then the other side of the coin is that that shoe is probably the comfiest because I've worn it the most. So yeah. you're, you're kind of like a fine line between, well, what do you use? A shoe that's a little bit more uncomfortable and has got a good foam or do you wear a shoe that is more comfortable? So yeah, it's it, it all re- relates back to injury and trying to be a detective to try and find what the, the cause of the injury was. Yeah, But it's definitely a service we're looking to take out from, from Speed itself as we can actually hire the, the Runscribe pods out. So what we do is you'd, you'd take the pods away for a week or, or however long you wish to, to have the pods for. You'd do your runs and I would analyse the data and then we'd set up like a Zoom call like this here and we'd just go through kind of, well, we use this shoe, this happens, and we use that shoe, that can happen. So when you're on that terrain, you tend to be this year and there's a couple of drills yeah. you can probably do to try and um, improve ankle stability, hip work, or X, Y, and Z, depending on what the, the findings come back from from the, the pod data. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. Oh, well, so, maybe, yeah, I'll a, maybe take you up on that myself. Yeah, we'll sort you out, Brian. I'll sort you out. <laughs> cool. So back to your, your career then. Obviously, I mentioned a couple of things in the intro. Um, Commonwealth Games, you know, working with Scottish you know, international teams and, and things like this. So what are some of the highlights from your physio career so far? Yeah, the highlights can be like numerous different ways. I mean, highlights of places I've been to, definitely been at the the Glasgow uh, 2014 Games. That was um, really good to be in the village and to see um, all the different athletes and get up close to, to watching the sport. Um, personal achievements have been when, for example, an athlete you've worked with has been able to, to run a race because they've been injured before and they, they weren't able to run and you've been able to, to help them get back to a race. But, I mean, last weekend, just watching people get back into racing locally is, is a highlight for me as well. So, yeah. I mean, highlights are, are great, but it could be somebody that's, for example, over lockdown, we've had people that have not been getting out of the house and we've been able to get them back to, to couch to 5K. So the the elite end of sport is great because there's always a, a reward when, when somebody does well. There is obviously downsides when they don't do well. But even like recreational athletes getting PBs or, or being able to run longer than they've run before, the, the highlights are just, if somebody achieves what they've set out to do, it's, it's a highlight for myself. But... I've been quite fortunate and work's taken me to to some really nice places and my love of running, I've been able to run in some really nice places as well. So it's been it's been great from that point of view. Um, one of the highlights has to be Korea. I went over to South Korea and um, I was struggling a wee bit with jet lag, so I thought I'll, I'll go for a wee run. And I didn't really realise we were 60 miles away from the, the DMZ, the demilitarized zone. So I thought I'd go for a run along the beach and it's three or four o'clock in the morning. And I thought, am I seeing things come out of the the, the, the shadows, out of the bushes? And sure enough, it was the army. So I was I was there with my head torch on, run up and down the beach, and they thought it was somebody coming down. So they came out of the, the trees to to see what was going on. And as soon as I saw them, I went back to my bed. So needless to say, I didn't sleep again that night. <laughs> so yeah, but it's these little experiences you have. And, and without my job taking me to Korea, I would never have experienced something like that. So yeah, it's, the highlights are are different for different things, but success is always something I really, really like and that can be on anyone that achieves their goal. Yeah. And was it not, were you not somewhere like was Russia or something recently and you're, where was, where was it you were at and you were running in deep snow and things like that? So the World um, Championships for the Junior Curlers last year was in Siberia. Oh, and, that's uh, right. I was in the middle of a marathon plan and, and anyone knows if you're in a marathon plan, the plan kind of dictates what you do. So I would, <laughs> I would do my work and I'd go out at night and try and get my miles in. And and to be honest, it wasn't too bad. It was minus 25 at some stages. But once you get going, it's it's it wasn't too bad. It was really quite refreshing. But yeah, the snow, the ice. And I've, I'm lucky to have these ASICs with the little uh, pins in the bottom. So it just felt like I was running on tarmac. So it was, it was really good. But to say I've run in Siberia was quite a, quite a highlight as well. So yeah. <laughs> so on, in regards to running in snow then, like see when we... So up in, up in the northeast of Scotland, um, a couple of months ago now, well, maybe February time, we had that spell of maybe 10 days um, where it was quite bad snow. And certainly I felt, in the beginning, it was quite a novelty running in the snow. You know, it felt, oh, this is quite nice. But eventually, you know, running the snow every day, I really got tired, like tired, more tired than normal. So there, it must take more out of you running the snow than just tarmac. Yeah, I mean, the, the foot position is different for a start. You, you tend to run more right onto the, the forefoot itself. And 
the way that the foot works is it's got a lot of like neural feedback or a lot of sensitive feedback to to the brain. So whenever you're on a surface that's quite uh, uniform, like tarmac, the brain appreciates that nothing really much is changing. So you don't really have to think too much about it. So you can contact the ground in whatever way you land. And because it's not changing, the muscles don't have to work as hard. Whereas when the ground's changing, same around on sand, um, you tend to shorten your stride because the brain automatically wants more feedback. So you'll shorten your stride, your cadence will go really high. And same with snow, you, you never take massive, massive steps, even if it's icy or snow, you tend to take a lot of small steps because the yeah. brain wants more feedback and it wants to be balanced and it wants to kind of make sure that the whole body's stable. And, and the thinking about your foot position, it, the way you tire a Labrador dog out is either you thrash it or you make it do little tricks and make it think. So you can tire it by thinking and a lot of running is sometimes tired by thinking. Same like if you go on a new route and you're thinking about which way do I have to go, what do I have to do, X, Y, and Z, it can make you feel a wee bit more tired than just if you go on your, your Monday and 5K around about the houses that you do every single day. The brain switches off and it doesn't tire as much. So yeah. getting back to the snow, it just changes the position of the foot. And you tend to, when you hit the ground, we always hit the ground on the, the outside border of our foot and then roll across to the big toe. But when you run on sand or when you run on snow, you don't get across onto the, the big toe as much because you, you dig into the surface a little bit more. So you tend to land on muscles that, that aren't really used to, yeah. to being loaded and you don't really get the same propulsion that you would normally because you don't get the, the hallucis longest really propelling you forward, one of the muscles of the, the big toe. So you tend to use a lot of the smaller muscles to, to fire you forward and you've got to lift your knees higher, which you're not used to doing because it's slightly different from a, a normal running pattern. So yeah, it's yeah. exposure to this. The same with anything. The more and more you do it, the better and better you get at it because yeah. the body um, adapts and absorbs the, the load quite well. Whereas uh, something that comes for 10 days only, we, we tend to get quite tired of it because we're not really having a chance to um, expose ourselves to it, adapt to it, and then um, move forward with that. Yeah, oh, I've helped validate my decision to end up going on the treadmill anyway because I, I can't, I, I wasn't, I wasn't just being lazy. There was definitely something in it. <laughs> I mean, tre treadmill's an easy uh, and. Uh, a nice thing in one as well and that's where the touching back and the unscribed pods a little bit is that we did all our gait analysis on treadmill before and, and the body doesn't move but the foot does when mm -hmm. you're on the treadmill because when you're out running the foot's very static so it hits the ground it, it actually goes into stop position then it goes again so the body's actually moving over the top of a static foot so it's slightly different the running so yeah it's uh it looks at how your your foot works with the ground over ground rather than how your body works with the treadmill over the treadmill itself. Yeah, cool. So just, I wanted to touch a bit on strength training to supplement, you know, your, whatever your sport is. So, you know, whether you're runner, whether you're a cyclist, um, swimmer, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, I know that you're a big advocate of, you know, doing other strength type training to supplement your you're running so you just want to chat a bit about some of your advice in that side of things as well yeah i mean i mean strength students probably got three three main things that it wants to kind of give a runner or, or swimmer or, or anybody that's involved in a different sport that hasn't got a strength plan um, attached to it is that the strength training should um reduce injuries or help prevent injuries i.e it lets you be consistent with your running so it shouldn't be that it's making you injured then you can't run it should be complementing and supplementing what you're doing from your, your sport the second thing is that it really helps with like neuromuscular control so it helps the the nerves to control the muscles and the muscles to control the movement pattern so it lets you move better and lastly if you're moving better then 
improves your running economy, swimming economy. So anything that you're doing over a long period of time, if you can spend less energy doing it, you can do it for longer or you can do it faster to, to expend your energy. So that's kind of where strength training comes in. And there's a lot of research now looking at different types of strength training and, and, and what do you need to do? I think if you're doing nothing, do something. That's probably the, the, the long and short of it. I've just finished yeah. reading there. Uh, Colin Thompson, he's an exercise physiologist down in Glasgow. He's got a book called uh, Running on the, the Red Dust. So he, he dropped a copy off to me, and, and it's really quite a nice short book, easy enough to read, but it's got lots of little hints and tips at the bottom. And he's just saying about strength training. It's like, if you're not doing anything, do something. Don't get yeah. too caught up on uh, rep sets. The research does probably say that going heavier shows that you get a better um, adaptation and, and better strength gains. But he said, if you're doing nothing just now, doing something's quite good and then start to, to focus in a lot closer as you, as you go down the route. Yeah. So for someone that's doing nothing right now, so like a runner, for example, that's doing no strength training. Um, I won't say it's me. Might be me. <laughs> what, what, Let, what's let's call him Brian. What's that? Let's, let's just call him Brian. Well, I do the odd bit and pieces, but I could definitely improve. So, But what, what sort of basic strength t- training type exercises would you recommend to get going? I'll be, I'll be honest with you. For you specifically, um, I mean, Ange does a lot of the CrossFit stuff and, and CrossFit would be a great place for you to get the fundamentals. I mean, the, the work that the guys do in the, uh, the CrossFit box in Aberdeen is fantastic. And we had a, um, a Spear Speaks with Rob just recently. And um, it's not until you actually hear that the, the planning that goes into the workouts, it's not just a lift this as fast as you can and then do yeah. this as fast as you can. And also um, I follow Ben Kilner out in, in Bankery who does a lot of the, the CrossFit Opens and just the way he moves now, having worked with him previously and, and looking at him now, just the way he moves and the way he lifts weight and the, the robustness of him is just just fantastic. So yeah. getting back to the initial question is what what movements should you be doing? Um, particularly for running, you probably want to do some sort of double-legged and single-legged exercises. Uh, running being a single-legged sport, um, you tend to find that if you're not doing any single-legged exercises, you can miss like a potential performance and enhancement there and we do a little bit of work on on balance but mainly should be doing probably a a deadlift a a squat of some sort and a single leg squat and also any split leg uh, variations so like your bulgarian or a split lunge anything like that would be quite nice but also putting in movement patterns that you might not necessarily do in your sport so it's like a, a lateral lunge or lateral movement so we can actually make you robust in a a bigger range one of the best examples is if you just work in a range that you're strong in, when you actually go hill running, you've got to take a, a bigger knee drive or a higher hip hitch to, to get yourself up a, a rock and you don't have the strength there, that's when you're more uh, predisposed for potential injury. So it's making sure that you're as robust as you can through as wide a range of motion as you can. So yeah, it's a, uh, I mean, strength training depends on what your areas for development are. We, yeah. we do profiles in the clinic where we look for what's the left leg, leg what is the left leg like due to comparison comparison to the right-hand side? And how can we build on the left-hand side? Or how do we build on the right-hand side so they're, they're as balanced as possible? Uh, you'll always probably have a, a strength on one side versus the other. We're, we're made as trees, we're not made as lampposts, so we'll have natural deviations from the norm. But if we can actually expose that um, in differences or imbalances, then, then that would be a good place to start for your, your strength yeah. training program. 
Well, Ange will be delighted to hear that you've said that because <laughs> she's, for any, for any new listeners, Ange is my wife who is a very keen and good CrossFitter and she's always got on to me about uh, getting involved more in CrossFit and I, I actually love it. I love CrossFit. I love watching it. I, like I watch the CrossFit games every year and I love seeing what she's doing um, but I've just never properly participated myself. I did the so uh, the body weight start open side of things um, well, a couple of months ago now, and I actually really enjoyed it. So I think I mean, that's really your starting point is, is start with the body weight work yeah. and just start with um, body movements. And I think the biggest fear with strength training and runners is that oh, it makes me sore, so I can't train. The, the body will be sore if you're not used to the loads that you're putting yeah. under yourself. And it's, it's gradual exposure will make you stronger and make you, less so it's same with running if you were to do a couch to 5k then go straight up to a half marathon you're not able to walk for two or three days after because your load's just going through the roof it's just a a different way of loading the body and i think crossfit while we're touching on that is that they got a lot of uh, bad press right back at the start and it was on you as well and it was probably a bit of a shame because they do a lot of of great work and, and we do see a lot of um clients in the department from crossfit and, and people say oh it's because they're lifting too heavy it's not it's just because with any sport you're likely to get injured. We don't yeah. castrate swimming, we don't castrate runners because they get injured, but why should we castrate crossfitters when, when they do? So yeah, I mean, the, the crossfit fundamentals, the, the way it's taught is fantastic. I think that that's a really, really positive thing to, to have in there. So for you personally, I think the body weight fundamentals would be would be a great place to start. Yeah. But having somebody or having some people like the the guys at, at Crossfabrine to to look over your form just to, to give you pointers so that you are moving well. The biggest thing it comes down to is if somebody can teach you to move well, move well under load, that's probably your bottom line. doesn't matter what the exercises are as long as you're moving well under load. There's a lot of good PTs out there as well. The, the guys down at, um, we were based at the Aberdeen Sports Village and I work closely with uh, John upstairs and it's fantastic to see how he, he teaches movement patterns. And I think movement patterns are just so important to, to have in your push-pull um, exercises. So, yeah, that's yeah. kind of where I would, I would start with that, Brian. And then as a, so as a, as a runner, my theory sort of was um, for, for the strength training days, do it on my session days. So, like, and you'll maybe tell me this is wrong, but I thought rather than, so I obviously do maybe two, hard workouts um a week plus a long run so i thought rather than doing my strength training on an easy day when the goal of an easy day is to recover i should maybe be doing the strength training on the same day as my sessions is that right um i i guess there's there's no right or wrong and rather than me sitting the fence here i'll probably put a little bit of context into that is that Whenever you expose the body to something that's a little bit hard work, there's a stress hormone cortisol uh, released. So you kind of want to make sure that when you're recovering, you're not producing more of the stress hormone and therefore have to recover from that. So you're, you're basically using up a recovery day to recover from then your strength session. So you kind of want to have as much stress on the body that the body can take without breaking down in one day and then having a good day's recovery afterwards. So doing them on the same day as your sessions would be fine. The secondary point I'd probably put in is you want to get the quality out of your um, running rather than the yeah. quality out of your gym session. So it might be worthwhile doing the, the gym session after your running session. Yeah. Um, the biggest point in training for running tends to be that you have to have your, your sessions 
at the tempos, at the speeds and at the, the quality that you're looking for. The rest of the week's kind of easier running, which you, you can change the pace. It's not, there's not a huge emphasis on that side of things. It has to be a nice, easier run. So there's not as much importance put on the easier runs from a form and from a, a pacing point of view. It has to be that the sessions are done well. And everything you do in your training plan should lead towards you doing a good session. And after you finish your session, um, I don't know if you've, you watched that um, All or Nothing uh, on the TV or the um, last chance you, I think it is, with the basketball team. They play their game and they go straight in the gym afterwards. Yeah. So they, they do their hard work on the court and they go straight in lifting afterwards because then when they recover, they're actually getting a full stage recovery. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, different people argue different ways. They, they say, well, I'll do my session, but then I've got no time to do strength, so I've got to fit it in with a Wednesday night when I go to the gym. So Yeah, we've got to go around real life as well, don't we, <laughs> unfortunately? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that having it after your, your strength sessions is, is no problem at all. And, and the best way to take it is see how you recover. So do the sessions for six weeks and see, well, it takes me actually two days to recover after my strength, or do I need to reduce my strength a little bit yeah. to allow my body to, to adapt it and then build it start but start start building it back up after that yeah yeah cool but doing something's better than nothing and doing uh, something with a little bit of um context to yourself is even better than, than doing something so yeah yeah nice one and now it's out in the public domain about crossfit i'm going to be held to that as well so thanks for that james <laughs> <laughs> um so the next thing i was wanting to go on to was because again you hear both sides of the spectrum on this so stretching stretching mobility this type of thing so some people would argue that um they don't need stretching you know to supplement their running some people swear by it i know mobility work in general sort of ties into the strength training but kind of where do you lie in the stretching side of things and i suppose although you probably don't want me to say this so people can avoid seeing you when they're injured what sort of stretches should they be doing should they be not you know what what is uh, your guidance there i think um my goal from physiotherapy is it's probably the nasty one that, that I don't want to see people. That That is the key thing is I want people to be self-sufficient. I want people to be able to self-manage. And if somebody goes out of my clinic, I don't see them for six months, and then that is a, a great result for me. And I think that that is, that is fantastic. And that's what we're ultimately looking to do with everybody, not just um, athletes we're looking for. If somebody comes in because they can't get up downstairs, but then they can't get up downstairs, I don't want to be seeing them after that because that's yeah. their, their goal, mate. Um, to get back to the question hand is... I'm really like recently I came up against this this whole thing about active versus passive. I'm quite keen on everything being quite active and you actually actively mobilizing or, or going through range of motion or or X, Y, and Z rather than passively stretching or passively potentially foam rolling or 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 theragunning. I think that they have a role, but they're not as good as what you probably could do. And I think if you're going to spend 15 to 20 minutes, you want to spend 15 to 20 minutes doing stuff that is beneficial for yourself. But when we get back to running, we need to have stiffness in the body. There needs to be um, a level of, of tendon stiffness and muscle stiffness to absorb and to create force. If we overstretch or overmobilize, we tend to find that we, we lose that stiffness. Um, some of the guys that, that do the yoga get a, a fantastic um, balance of the, the mobility, strength work, and also creating that, that tension as well. So I think that a lot of people have got this maybe biased approach to yoga is just stretching. Mm. They've probably not done yoga because it's, yeah, it's, it's very hard work and it's yeah. a lot more mobility and it's a lot more time under tension. And, and that's basically what you want to do. You want to think about it. Can I be as active in my stretching or active in my mobilization as possible rather than passively 
stretching a tissue. Now we know that a muscle, the strongest muscle is a short muscle. So if we over lengthen a muscle and we don't have strength in that new range, the muscle will go back to being shortened. And it will always go back to where it was before because it always wants to go back to where it can generate the, the force needed for an activity. So you tend to find that you can spend X amount of minutes stretching your hamstrings and great, you can touch your toes, you go for a run, you come back in, you can only touch your knees again because where the strength is, is in that that specific length of, of tissue. So having load through the hamstrings, such as like a, an arabesque stretch or having yourself doing like a, a, a deadlift exercise and holding at the bottom for a little bit longer, putting tension through the hamstrings for longer can elongate the muscle length and also create strength so that when the body does go there again, it can actually stay there and actually is quite comfortable being there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, I'm not sure uh, if that answers your question. Yeah, no, no definitely. <laughs> you, know, you, you touched on yoga there. So I've got to take the opportunity to plug. Um, we, this week um, we put on our Instagram channel, we put on a yoga for runners video. So Megan, um, I am Megan Alexandra is her Instagram handle. She did a great yoga for runners um, for us. So if you go to the HBHM Instagram page and you'll see that it's, a, it's like 20 minutes long. So you know it's quite a, a nice length of one to do. So yeah, check out that for anyone that's interested in, in adding a bit more yoga into their running routine. I think the big thing with, with yoga is it's, it's movement and it's learning how to move well, learning how to put your body through um, a little bit of tension at the outer range of where we'd be. In running, we probably use x percent of the body's potential where in strength training yoga pilates we can actually increase that percentage so that in case we need it so for example if you're running a, on a road that's flat you don't probably need a huge amount of range or a huge amount of strength in the range but if you start putting hills into your your training session you start doing um mountain running ultra running your range starts to change and you need to have this kind of capacity through a, a wider range rather than just being um, in a, a small small range yeah. Well, that, that uh, takes me nicely on to your, so at the start of, well, round about the start of the original lockdown last year, you started your Unlace the Brace program, um, which is all about, well, I suppose mobility and things like that as well. So yes, yeah, what I explain a wee bit about what the Unlace the Brace was all about. Yeah, so Unlace the Brace itself was like a, a concept I kind of was looking into for numerous years and it wasn't until we went into lockdown with a little bit more time on my hands that I was able to to develop into something that was actually a product that that runners everyone can use and I started off by looking at well what's actually the foot's role and how how important is the foot in um, exercise in general or creating force or creating um, a relationship with the ground and it was one of my colleagues again Karen that was, was speaking about golf where she said have you ever tried golfing without spikes in a rainy day it's just it just doesn't happen because your, your foot doesn't have that same contact but if you have spikes underneath your, your shoe you're able to to have a reaction or have a, a relationship with the ground itself and when I started looking at that and looking at the people that are coming to the department and looking at the the calluses on different people's feet and how they actually use the whole of their foot itself or do they just use a, a smaller part and I was like well there has to be has to be more to this and Again, we touched at the top of the, the podcast about my learnings and I wasn't happy enough not knowing about what the, the foot's job was and, and everything we do. And it took me on to a really interesting guy, the human humanlocomotion.org. It's uh, Tom Michaud. He does a lot of work on, on foot control and he found that 
the interesting thing that caught me is over the age of 30 to 35, we start to have what we call sarcopenia, which is muscle loss or muscle wastage. And the majority of that comes in our feet. So as we go into masters athletes, we, we start to lose a lot of the, the muscle strength in our feet. I was like, well, if you lose the muscle strength in your feet, then the other muscles will have to do a lot more. So we, we start looking at, well, what then happens to master's athletes to get Achilles tendon problems? So is there a, a relationship between Achilles tendon and plantar pain with the loss of, of foot strength? And when you start to delve a wee bit deeper, the people um, that have strong feet tend to see less injuries. So I then went on to look at um, ballet dancers where they're on their feet barefoot the whole time. They must have strong feet. When they actually looked at testing the strength of the, the ballet dancers, the, the actual intrinsic muscles or the muscles inside the foot or the, the local muscles in the foot were reduced. But when they actually went on to a, a strength training plan for the feet, they were able to increase their performance, increase their, their length of holds in, in X, Y, and Z. So from there, we developed a 30-day a um, plan for strengthening your feet or at least getting to know your feet a little bit more and, and feeling what the, the relationship between the foot and the ground is. Um, a lot of people think glute to foot and hip to tip so it's kind of like working on the foot and the tip side of things rather than the, everyone always goes to physio and gets glute exercises well can we actually be better and link the, the whole chain together so that's taken on again to further reading around about um, anatomy and motion Gary Ward who looks at a lot of the filling the space of the foot so putting wedges into the foot to allow the, the whole foot to get in contact with the ground and I've only been doing that for a few months since um, the course and just it's mind blowing the changes of actually working on and, and recruiting that foot itself. So yeah, the initial question only is to base a 30 day plan that helps you to, to get strength, get balance and get that foot connected to the hip. But longer term, it's just such a massive thing, the, the role of the foot in propulsion, balance, yeah. and also going forward um, the reduction in foot strength has actually been linked to increased falls in the elderly. So the less strength you have in your feet, the more likely you are to fall and falls risk is a big thing for life. So yeah. potentially right. if you don't, if you don't solve your feet, you can die. Yeah. Well, I, I, I did it. I did that. The unless the brace, um, well, I, I bought the, I didn't, I didn't do it live with you. I bought the ebook um, and did it like afterwards. And it was amazing. Like some of the big toe exercises at the beginning were really difficult to do just to try and get your you know your big toe planted on the ground and raise you know your little toes and things like that were actually really difficult that you probably don't even realize um you can't do until you actually you know force yourself to do stuff like that yeah i mean we uh we look at the one of the things we've been doing with a, a couple of the guys just now is that doing the the run scribe pods seeing what their contact like is how much of their foot that they're using to, to drive themselves forward, then initiating the Unlace the Brace program with them and then rechecking and you actually see they actually use a lot more of their foot for propulsion. So it goes back to that whole strength training question about economy. Yeah. If you can reduce your economy in all the muscles, you can do that sport for longer or faster before you've actually burnt yourself out. So yes, it's, a, it's definitely a tool that, again, we're, we're not just looking for injury prevention, which it can do, but we're also looking for performance enhancement which yeah. it can do as well so yeah it's, it's kind of twofold as well it's not just all about stopping you getting injuries it's all about well now you've got a good body how do we move well within that that good body itself yeah and it's all these extra it's all these extra percentages that you're looking for in different places and you know this is exactly that's one of those different places that you can find them 
one of the things as well is it's really hard to shoot a cannon from a canoe. So you might have the strongest glutes in the world. You might have the the really best exercise for the glutes or you're doing the best gym exercises for the glutes. But unless you can actually stabilize with the ground and, and harness the ground and actually harness that strength through the ground, then, yeah, it's it's irrelevant. And we've, we've seen quite a lot of it in there. Not so much our elite swimmers. We, we don't tend to to do too much about with with our clients that swim as well but the block work and really trying to get that that propulsion off the block from that big toe and really try and get the weight to to push through the the muscle system that the foot's been designed to use yeah and the the only unless the brace obviously that was your first you did that live then you did it in the ebook as i said but you've now that's led on to you've done a few more ebooks since then haven't you yeah so one of the questions you asked Ellen about was strength training. What happens if you don't do anything strength training? What's the best place to start? And uh, um, I developed a running from injury class where it was taking people that hadn't really done any strength training before or were struggling to get strength training done and did that as an online class, first of all. And it was, it was broken down into sections where we did a warm-up and then we really worked on moving well within the first set. So sometimes using a metro timer, sometimes using uh, a movement pattern that was quite specific to running and then we went on to look at the glutes the quads the hamstrings soleus and core and plyometrics basically a one-stop shop for every muscle group you'd you'd recruit with running but try and link them all to the same kind of movement patterns so uh, we've now just on thursday there finished the the sixth class and the sixth block so it's been 36 uh, classes that we've done now and uh, they're available now again on ebook as well because with people going back to work uh, the eight o'clock slot in the morning is not ideal. So it can be done. Literally, the the videos are on YouTube. So you link to YouTube. You can watch on your TV in your living room. You can take it on your iPad to the gym. So yeah. it's literally taking a, a structured workout that I've used the literature behind the exercises to allow you to develop a strength plan that works best for you for, for gym environment, for home environment, for the stress and strains of time that, that, that life actually throws at us just now. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of where I just now. Cool, nice one. And um, I, the next thing I wanted to go into was we've just had Mental Health Awareness Week, um, which is obviously, you know, raising awareness of mental health and how we can protect that. And I know that you worked really closely with um, a local mental health charity. So do you want to just tell us a wee bit about what it is that you do there and how you how you, mental health affected you? Yeah, so I mean, mental health Aberdeen are probably one of the, the greatest assets we've got in Aberdeen. Uh, if you don't follow them on social media, if you don't know anything about mental health Aberdeen, uh, just look them up on the, the website and um, or look up on Instagram as well because uh, they've got some fantastic resources. Um, the reason I fell into mental health Aberdeen and working with them is they um, offered me a place to run at London Marathon and I didn't know anything about them before they offered me the place and through raising money for them through working quite closely with Isla Stewart who um, I believe she's a patron or she's on the board of, of Mental Health Aberdeen um, learned so much about the services they, they provide now we're all we're all human we've all got brains so we're all um, going to have aspects of, of mental health that affects us sometimes affects people more than it affects others or some page of your life it affects you more than it affects others but I, I think it's been aware of when it affects you and there is help out there if, if you do need it. So yeah, um, the mental health side of things is really important because we spend a lot of time 
talking to people about what can you do to get physically better, but also mm-hmm. there's the, the whole mental side of things is that we don't probably speak about it enough or we don't know enough about what we can do to get ourselves mentally um, not necessarily better but being able to to cope with different situations that do arise and one of the biggest things is is um, being aware of when your mental health is um, maybe struggling a little bit and maybe reaching out to somebody that that you know uh, will be able to to listen or yeah just having that that counseling skills that are that are there that mental health Aberdeen do provide yeah yeah, cool. And- it's such a it's such a um, fantastic topic as well because we we are all human. We're, yeah. we're all easy enough to say just be kind, but how many people are actually just kind? You know, it's it's easy to post a, a picture up saying be kind, but it's it's sometimes where actions are maybe a wee bit stronger than words and hold the door open for somebody, say hello to somebody, tip your hat when you're running by somebody, and you know we're all we're all human. We're all going through different things and. I think the nicer we can be to people, the the better we can yeah. be as humans. You know? Yeah, and I think that, you know, our, our message certainly, um, you know, HBHM, healthy body, healthy mind, is, is very much about the part that uh, activity can play in helping your mental health as well. So you know, I put a post out this week um, and it was all about, you know, how running helps me and how, you know, it doesn't matter what, time of the day you know if you get out in the morning it sets you up well for the day you know whether you get with lunchtime it can just help give you that space and give you that time to sort of recharge from the morning into the after into the afternoon and again if you go out at night it can just you know after a tough day lots of things going on it can just totally clear your head after a, a you know a the stresses of life so i think the, and that but it doesn't have to be running you know that's mine but you know it could be walking it could be crossfit it could be cycling whatever it is that you've got in your life um i just i don't think we can underestimate the the value of doing something to help your your mental health absolutely and i think that it's like you touched on there it doesn't have to be anything it can be just something you enjoy doing mm. pick up a sudoku yeah. watch the Kardashians do do anything you like you like doing you know it's something that that you find that you're able to either um strategize your thoughts or 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 get over what what happened during your day and I think it gives you a lot of of space doing something that you're probably in a safe place with so you yeah. can actually think about it and, and and we do a lot of work with some clients as well about just being mindful mm-hmm. like where you are when you're on the run what is my breathing like? What what smells to us? And I had an interesting chat with Dave Andrews, who he was out running with with Dave Moore for twenty five hours. And one of the chats they had when they were out was um, Dave was able to tell different smells for different parts of Aberdeen. And when he was out running, he, could, he was just getting aware of different smells. And it's it's interesting because we were out running the coastal path, and he was telling us, "I was like, do you know what? See, since you said that, I can smell the sea. I can yeah. smell the gorse." I went running in Kirkcall Forest at night and I could smell the like the the wood, the damp wood more than anything else. And it's like little things like that can make a, a run more than just a run. It's like just be mindful to to your your environment, to your uh, what, what nature's running about you. And that's a big thing that links back into the, the mental health awareness week is that it's about nature and, and going out there and enjoying nature. Respect it, obviously. If you <laughs> I'm not here at lecture or anything, but yeah leave nature as you found it you know yeah. and it's a playground for everyone and 
you don't go down the playground and ruin the swing so nobody else can use it so don't go into nature and leave your rubbish it's that, that kind of thing that's that's not what this is for it's more for let's get into nature and enjoy nature but be be mindful of your surroundings and listen smell see experience the place you're at rather than just be there actually be there yeah yeah no that's a great great message and it brings me on to the the mindset side of things with you as well so i know when i um have came to see you you know we yeah you're you're generally working on an l a part of my body that you know needs work but we we end up talking about you know loads of other things and one of those is around mindset and the, the part that that plays in you know improving your performance in running or in you know for me it's running obviously but for in swimming or cycling or whatever it is and and one of the things that you you speak about is a sound mind and a sound body which obviously is linked very very much to the name of this whole podcast so you know what is some of your your mindset tips for improving you know your your the mental aspect of endurance events well, there's there's so many. <laughs> I think that a couple of the resources I'd probably point people towards would be um, the Brave Athletes, a, a great book um, okay. that, that I've read myself, and it, it goes inside the the athlete's mind a little bit more about um, maybe not reaching potential, maybe not racing as good as you could be, or what to do when when the going gets tough. And um, another resource in the, the Dave Andrews again, well, laughing for mentioning this one, but uh, David Goggins, um, yeah. Can't Hurt Me, his his podcast, and it's, it's very much a tool, it's not a be-all, end-all, so you can't just get through life being angry, you've got to kind of have it when you need it, so for example, if you're in the, the later stages of a marathon and you want to get yourself going, that's when you maybe use the, the anger side of things, but if you're in yeah. the first 5k of a, a marathon and you're being angry at yourself, you're just wasting energy, so it's, it's, it's definitely a tool. I think sound mind and sound bodies having the mind to know that there's going to be different elements you have to use. Um, for example, if your mindset is that I, I'm only going to be successful if I run fast over 10K, then it's very much a, um, an outcome-driven mindset, whereas you kind of want to think about, well, I'm going to be successful if I'm able to stick to the processes through the race and the outcome is going to be whatever it is. So I'm able to... Um, do my preparation meal I'm able to sleep the night before I'm able to listen to the the sound before I go out I'm able to start my first 5k at a certain pace I'm able to hold this pace for that I'm able to do x y and z and then when I cross the line that time's going to be what the time is so it's kind of thinking about how do you approach things rather than actually um, being driven by an outcome it's the same with weight the 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 thing that defines you shouldn't be the number it should be the the journey that you're on and I think yeah. if you're thinking about I'm only going to be successful if I hit that weight. Well, what happens if you actually play rugby and you go above that weight because you're muscular or you are a dancer and you're below that weight? So the, the number shouldn't define you. It should be more uh, the journey that you're on. And how are you able to encompass the journey to get to where you wish to go? Rather than actually where you're going, it's that that journey. So yeah, it's I mean the mind the mindset is is a fantastic, it's a fantastic tool, but it's finding out what somebody's mindset is and maybe trying to to approach treatments along that side of mindset rather mm. than try to change their mindset is, is trying to make them think about something slightly different or some, something slightly um, more positive than 
a negative outcome or a what happens if this happens? Well, what happens if you do X, Y, and Z right? It doesn't matter what happens then. So yeah, yeah. it's a lot with racing as well. Like you can go into racing, oh, what what time are you going to go? Oh, I, I I don't know. I'm going to try and do X, Y, and Z, and I'll see where I am. So yeah, it's it's it's, it's just that whole. The positive mindset is easy enough to say, but it's hard to do. And I think some days it's easier to have a positive mindset than others. And I think that sometimes you've just got to approach the good days with maybe pushing on a wee bit more and the days where it's a wee bit hard, just, just try and break even. I, uh, I do a lot in, in my life where I was brought up in football and I always go into the day trying to win the day. And I think that some days I'm happy with a draw. Yeah. <laughs> As long as I'm not getting beat, I'm happy enough with a draw. And, and you look for the the small wins and the small things to to keep you going. So yeah, it's it's just different mindsets for different days. But the brave athlete, um, David Goggins, some some nice little tools that I've used personally. But Don Vesey, who's a um, PhD sports psychologist, spent a lot of time with myself in the build up to my ultra runs, and um, just talking things through and making lists, being prepared. And all these things are just so important for your mindset. So rather than worrying about things, just think, okay, what can I do with what I've got just now? How can I control the controllables? And that's all you can do. Control the controllables and hope the uncontrollables fall in your favor. (laughs) What's fear? The false expectations of actual reality. So you fear something that's not actually happened. So you've got to kind of think about, well, what can I actually do? and What can I control? And then the stuff that I can't control, the stuff that I don't actually know is going to happen, I can't worry about. So, yeah. for example, the the Mori Way um, Ultra, the 50 miler, we don't know if it's going to go ahead for people out with Mori. I can't control that. So what I've got to do is I've got to kind of plan for it going ahead. And if it doesn't go ahead, it's it's just something that, that we have to, to deal with. But rather than getting worked up about it, you just have to think, well, I can train. I can keep myself fit. I can keep myself in the, the positive mindset that if it's not a race this year, we're still healthy. We're still being able to train. We're still able to run. So, yeah. It's, it's small things like that and it's put into context yeah and i suppose this is where goals play a big part in mindset as well and you know you can never you know the whole old saying about you can never hit a target if you're not aiming for any target so i know that you know goal setting is a big part of your your particular running journey but it's also it's also something that, you know we've spoken about in the past so you know goals and ambitions how important is that when it comes to um, improving mindset or improving your performance. Yeah, and I think I think you need to have goals. I think I think you need to have have goals, but you need to have like probably structured goals. So in physiotherapy, we use specific goals to you or smart goals. So they're specific to to what you want to achieve. They're measurable, uh, they're achievable, they're realistic, and they're time based. So that you've actually got like six weeks to achieve such and such a goal. So goals are definitely a good thing to allow us to monitor performance. So if you achieve the goal, was the performance or was the, the goal actually um, too easy? And then we change the goal to a little bit harder for the next time. Or if you don't meet the goal, was the goal too hard? And how do we actually change what we've done? So allow goals allow us to um, give us like a feedback on our, our approach to achieving the goal. So it, it allows us to change the, the processes, but the processes should always be the most important part of the the outcome itself so yeah goals goals are fantastic to have and i think that um we should all have goals person life uh ambition life work life sport life uh but the process and how you're going to achieve the goal yeah. is the, the the nuts and bolts of it so to say i'm going to run under three hours for a marathon 
some folk are saying, well, that, that's a goal you're never going to achieve, but you can chip away and you can do a 3.15 marathon. Okay, what do we change with the processes? When we just change X, Y, and Z, do a little bit more mileage, but do a bit more recovery work. Then you go 3.5, and then you go 3, and then you go 2.59, and then you've got the goal. Now you sit down and say, well, that goal's achieved. Where do we go next? And then put another goal on. There's a high rate of, of struggle with mindset after you achieve a goal. So it's yeah. kind of thinking about after you've achieved a goal, sit down, reflect, and, and where's the next goal? What's what's the next target to go for? And, but the goal is important, but the plan to get there is important if that's yeah. even a word. I don't even know. Let's, just, it, let's, yeah. say, it, let's say it as a word. <laughs> Copyright. <laughs> uh, no, but I think it's even, even when, you, you know, I, I'm very much after every race and even every key session that I do, I always try and, um, you know, write down the things that went well, but also the things that, you know, could go better next time. And even, you know, when I've achieved my goals in races, I still know where I could have improved. So it gives you the encouragement that, okay, actually, I know there's still more there. So it gives you that drive to continue on it because, you know, when it, my, my marathon PB right now is two, two hours 44, but I know there's things I could have done differently to improve that again next time. So it's not also, yeah, it's, a, you, you know, what you mentioned there about sometimes when you achieve your goal, it's the worst place to be in. But if you're always able to identify the areas where you can improve upon next time, you're always sort of, you've got something else to go after next time as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, success is built on experience and success is built on adversity. I think that you kind of need to have a, an experience to learn from it to then go further, if that makes sense. And with regards to a bad race, it's never a bad race if you've learned from it because yeah. you'll, you'll take something from it and you'll, you'll not make the same mistakes again. I went to, to London um, with a 3.30.59 PB knowing that I was going to break 3.30. That was my goal. 3.30, it's in the back. Yeah. I went 3.35. And one of the biggest things I learned from that is how do I actually reflect on not performing where I thought I was going to perform? So after the initial, oh, London's rubbish. I didn't really enjoy London. I was actually, well, London was the best experience I've had because it then gave me something to to work on. It learned, it probably humbled me into thinking, actually, the marathon owes you nothing. You've got to work for it, but you've got to work at the right things. So then went and did Loch Ness and, and I think I went 214, eh, didn't do 214, 314, <laughs> so 314 and that was a PB for me with a, a chunk off, so 16 minutes, you know, it's just just fantastic and I think that without a failing and without adversity, I don't think I would have been able to have hit that, that, that goal again. Yeah. So I think that don't worry about not being successful, worrying about if I haven't been successful, what can I do better next time or how can I improve this next time or how, what small changes do I need to make so that I can actually keep going towards what my initial target was. And if you haven't met your goal yet, your goal is not finished. You're yeah. still working towards it. And when you do hit your goal, it's what's, what's next or where can I go next? Yeah. So you, you touched on it there. You, you mentioned your, a bit about your, your own running. So what about, so your, your own running journey then I know that you've done marathons, but you're now, seem to be going a bit longer than that. So do you want to just tell us a bit about your own running journey? Yeah, so after after I met my goal at London, <laughs> um, I thought, well, I can't go much faster than that, so I have to go further. Okay. So I ended up going to... Um, uh, Ginny and myself spoke about doing a 5K time trial around about Christmas time. So we did a six-week training block for um, a 5K. And then after doing the 5K, I was like, I've got to do more than this. So I ended up... Um, <laughs> 
I ended up signing up for um, the Moray series, so the 50k dive away and then the 50 mile ultra. Started watching all the ultras documentaries on, on YouTube and was just, I don't know, like obsessed with, with <laughs> running far, running over ground that I wasn't used to running and, and going point to point and just, yeah, just the whole ultra environment was just seemed fantastic and just something I'd never really went into. The same with how I got into marathon running is I'm seeing a lot of clients that are doing ultras and I want to give them the best information that I had. And sometimes you have to experience that yourself. And I think that by experiencing it, you learn and you're able to pass on little nuggets of information to them. So part of my ultra running is for myself and part of my ultra running is to, to try and provide as much information as I can for the ultra runners that, that do come through the department as well. Yeah. So the Mori Ways, the, the next one, which is in four weeks on Saturday, all being well with with um, the COVID restrictions. But um, if it goes ahead for, for myself, it'd be great. If it doesn't go ahead for myself, then there'll always be something else that, that, that comes up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, well, very good. So before we start coming to some of the roundup questions, um, I wanted to ask you, I know you're, you're a HBHM customer, you've used the product. So do you want to tell us how it's helped you? Yeah, I, um, we've got two wee boys, uh, Benji and Sammy. So we had Benji on just before we came live <laughs> for a wee brief time, but um, yeah. neither sleep that well. So my my goal to use the, the CBD oil was to help with my sleep. So I found that um, I trapped my sleep with my Garmin and I found that the, the quality of sleep was a lot better when I was using the, the, the product. Uh, unfortunately, it was disrupted again with my um my youngest being up quite a lot of the time when I was using the product, but I did find it it got me into a better sleep quicker. I was able to drop off quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite liked the, the routine. And when we were ever talking about um, sleep, one of the biggest things is having like a good sleep hygiene or having a good sleep routine. So you kind of do the same things at the same time to make yeah. it go to bed at the same time, like make a cool environment and try and cut the blue light beforehand. But it, yeah. it fell quite nicely into to the routine. Um, I was quite a stickler for making sure I had it underneath my tongue where I found that you can have it in your, your drink so I probably would have done, done it that way rather yeah. than under the tongue um, I don't know why I'm even telling you this but I'm tongue tied so I really struggled with that so <laughs> <laughs> if I knew you could put it into a drink I probably would have done it that way but yeah that's probably too much information for a lot of folk out there but yeah but no it was, it was fine and, and like obviously I'm not um, being paid to say this at all but the taste was good and um, the ease of use was good and also the, the product itself is something I've, I've read before in the past yeah. and it's been quite um, prominent over in America and a lot of different mm-hmm. sports clubs, sports personalities and sports um, um, government bodies use it as well. So yeah, it's definitely something that, that is there to be, um, again, performance enhancement as much as you can. Yeah, good. Nice one. Nice one. So just uh, some of the roundup questions then, James. I like to ask every guest on the podcast um, their top tip for three uh, specific areas. So your top tip for improving performance, your top tip for improving recovery, and your top tip for improving sleep. So first of all then, James, what's your top tip for improving performance? And top tip for improving performance is going to be consistency. Okay. Um, do the right things, do the right things well, but do the basic things well and do them well over a, a long period of time. And I think that that's where you, you can improve your, your performance. Um, we go to the dentist once a year or twice a year. We go to um, get our car MOT'd and sometimes it's 
it's looking after your body as well. And that can be either through physio, chiro, soft tissue massages. I think that looking after yourself is quite key to keep yourself consistent. Also strength conditioning can help you with consistency as well. So the biggest thing for performance would be consistency and how you achieve consistency can be multiple different ways. Nice one. Awesome. Yeah. Great one. And what about recovery? Um, Again, recovery is is making sure you do it as as soon as you can after um, your event. So for example, is it that you need to get out of wet clothes? Perfect. Is it you need to get protein on board? Do it. Is it that you need to have a nap, sleep? Do it. Is it that you need to start thinking about your next level performance? So your next performance starts as soon as you finish your last one. So the better you can recover, the more likelihood you're going to perform better at your next event. So yeah, um, sleep is important for recovery. Nutrition is important for recovery. Hydration is important for recovery. So I would say the most important thing is reach for the low lying fruit. Make sure that you're doing the basics very, very well and be consistent with the basics. Yeah, nice one. And then finally, your top tip for improving sleep. Well, if I knew that, I would probably be struggling with sleep myself. But um, I uh, listened to um, Matthew Walker, the sleep doctor. Uh, he did a review podcast with, with Joe Rogan, and he gave me a lot of um, a lot of tips. And we also had a, a sleep psychologist guy come in and do a little workshop with us as well. So one of the top tips he gave us was that if you're trying to get to sleep, sometimes uh, putting an eye mask on or, or blacking out the, the room, is as good as, as being asleep. And if you're able to do that, then that's the first step. The second step would be is give yourself a small challenge. So for example, try and get from A to Z on places you've visited in the world or uh, types of car or yeah, girls' cool. names, boys' names. So as soon as you start thinking about not trying to get to sleep, you're more likely to switch the the part of the brain, that the frontal to the, to, to the extra part of the brain that, yeah. that helps you to, to switch off a bit better. So yeah, um, I don't think I've ever got by... I don't think I've ever got by M. I've got to M. I wake up and I think, well, what was the last car I said? So yeah. I'm quite competitive sometimes as well. So sometimes I'm like, oh, I need to get to Z. And then you get to X, Y, and Z. It's really hard to, to find girls' names that, that begin with M. So yeah. yeah. But small little things like that can can just help you relax. But I think with sleep, is have good sleep hygiene, good routine, yes. and be consistent with it. Again, for all three things there, consistency is key. Do the same thing, do the basics, and do them well and you you can't go really far wrong awesome great tips thanks very much for those so before we head off where can our listeners find you or follow you yeah so um i'm fairly active on instagram um at physio run so if you're on instagram have a wee follow it'd be great i also have uh, an online bookshop called um physio run so it's www.payhip.com for uh, backslash physio run and all my books are available on there and i've got a, a website physiorun.net um, i work out of spear sports uh, injury clinic so they're very worthwhile having a follow as well lots of good information um, about both our msk and our, our neuro team and all our musings and all our challenges that we set all the, the different clients we get so yeah awesome nice one thanks very much no thanks um, very much for your time yeah thanks for coming on james and Hopefully your your Murray Way uh, 50 miler does go ahead. And if it does, all the very best with it. Um, and it's been great to have you on. Appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, keep up the good work with your, yourselves and uh, all the content you guys are putting out. And any tool that helps with a healthy body and healthy mind is a fantastic tool in my mind. So yeah, keep up the hard work, guys. Perfect. Thanks, James.
Thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of the HBHM podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just a reminder that you can get 15% off at checkout on hbhm.com by putting in the code HBHMPOD. Please share the latest podcast on socials at Instagram. We are at HBHM official and we look forward to speaking to you next time.